Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Well, amen and good morning. Um, Walt asked me to preach a couple of weeks ago because he had planned to go out of town. Um, and I am going to remember, first things first, I saw the red baskets. Can we get the red baskets going before I get in trouble? And he never asked me to do this again. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many of you are on Facebook and kind of saw um, the lowdown of what happened with Walt, but uh, in preparation for his trip, um, Walt was just checking his pipes, I guess, that run through the garage and noticed that one of his pipes run into one of his office bathrooms or something had frozen. And so he um, was trying to heat it up with what I understand to be a blowtorch and accidentally caught some insulation on fire, which then started running up and in between the walls. And, and the pictures indicate that Walt went beast mode and went into his bathroom and started ripping his shower apart and ripping the drywall off the wall. Um, and he got, he got the fire out um, before the fire department came, but uh, I don't think his hands went unscathed. And the pictures on the internet um, made it seem that if Walt had ever committed any crimes, there will no longer be any evidence against him because his fingertips were about gone. So um, as Walt is not with us this morning, um, let's remember him in prayer that uh, his hands would heal and that his house would heal um, and that he would remember never to do that again, I guess. Um, I always tell my students, you're allowed to make a mistake once, but if you make it twice, that's just a, that's a major issue. So hopefully... Um, Walt and April are enjoying their time away. But when he asked me um, if I could preach on this Sunday, I said, sure. And I didn't really have anything in my head um, concerning which to preach. But I, I, as I was kind of reading through and looking at topics to talk about, um, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with a guidance counselor a couple of months ago. Um, we were talking about one of my students who... Um, is kind of struggling and just having a hard time figuring out what level he should be at and just has severe testing anxiety and all that. Um, but we started talking about his community of friends. He, he is of a faith group. Um, I'm going to try to remain anonymous with all of this stuff. But he's, he's a part of a small group um, that goes to our school who's really diligent in their, in their beliefs. And um, they... They're great kids. Uh, I think one of them is a drum major. Some of them are really great um, swimmers. I know one of them is an awesome percussionist in the band. And so they've got these prominent positions all throughout the school, and they're just wonderful kids. Um, nobody has anything bad to say about them. The teachers love them. Um, and this guidance counselor, who is like 100% secular, 
um, just stood in my room and said, you know, I just look at all the things that these kids have to do, and they're happy to wake up at 7 in the morning and go to their, uh, their seminaries and their scripture um, reading times before school, and not one complaint, and just seems like nothing but joy in them. And this secular guidance counselor looked me in the eye and said, I have no interest in becoming religious or anything, but I would not mind having a little bit of whatever they've got. And I said to myself, when is the last time you ever heard that about a Christian? And um, I'm not saying it's 100% Christian's fault, the way that Christians are painted in the mainstream media, but um, I have yet to receive a wonderful compliment like that about the fruits of the way I live my life. And um, it just kind of got me going, and I had, a, I had a great conversation with Walt on the phone this past week where, um, you know, if the gospel has really become reality um, to believers, that lives should be transformed. And this should be an occurrence that happens all the time in the world with Christians. Um, people that are just saying, man, I don't know what they've got, but I want a piece of it. Um, and so this morning, we're going to look at um, what it might be that can make our lives look that way, what it might be that can um, cause us to live in such a way that other people would notice um, that something's different and that uh, they might want a little bit of what we've got. And over the past few years, we've dealt a lot with um, the gospel of grace and the, the transformation that occurs um, within the Spirit. Um, but I think that Christ did such an amazing work on the cross that it's not just the supernatural realm that's affected, but here in this very flesh, um, something tangible could change. And my Omi, um, she's here today, and most of you know and love her. Um, if you don't, we'll talk later, because she's wonderful. You need to love her. But um, one of the last times I preached, it was on, um, it was on the, the fragrance that Christ had um, after Mary anointed his head with oil. And I remember sitting around the lunch table, and we were talking about, um, you know, how that verse that we have now become this wonderful and pleasing aroma of Christ to God. And we were sitting at the table, and I remember my Omi saying, I don't know if she remembers saying this, but I remember it. She said, you know, that is all very true, but it'd be great if Christians were aware of how they smelled to others sometimes. And that has always stuck with me too, was that, you know, this wonderful thing has happened in our spirits, um, but that needs to be tangibly evident that some sort of wonderful thing has occurred in our flesh as well. And this, this preacher that my Omi has turned me on to in the past year, his name is Norman Meaton, and I was listening to a sermon uh, just the other day, and he, he was speaking, and it, it caught my ear because it was kind of what we were going to talk about today. And th these are his words. He says, The work of the Spirit of God is to reproduce the life and nature and character of the Lord Jesus in each one of us. That's why we have a body primarily, to be his temple into which he invests his own divine nature. And all throughout the New Testament, you can hear apostles being quoted as, you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus, when they go and greet um, the people that they've been writing to. Is that how men and women receive you and me? It's not merely what we say, not merely what we preach, but what we are, the life that we live, our relationships one with another, the way we behave, the way we handle the affairs of daily living. 
It's not God remote and distant, but near us, even within our hearts, seeking to manifest his own life, his own divine nature, his own character, his pattern of behavior through ordinary men and women like you and me. He refers to our bodies as veil earthen vessels into which he has invested a treasure of inestimable value and worth, that Christ should be manifest in our body, that Christ should be manifest in our mortal flesh. And so I guess my question is, if, if that's the finish line, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where um, my words and my deeds and the way that my flesh goes throughout the day is a manifestation of Christ? Um, and I think it all has to do with a true baptism that occurs. And so without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and get to the races and see what we find. Um, if I say baptism, a name probably comes to your head, which would be John the Baptist. And we're actually going to go to John 1, verse 19, and start talking about this John the Baptist guy, who he was, what he was doing, why was he dunking people in water, and what's the importance for us today. So in John 1, and I've been given the clicker. Oh, look at this. Okay. Drew, I'm a, Doug, I'm very much not a multitasker. So if I forget, and I'm 20 verses behind, catch me up. Okay. Um, we're in John 1, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? Um, and so what we find right now is for some reason or another, um, there has been this formal deputation that has been sent out to investigate who this John the Baptist guy is. Um, he's got quite a following. He's got quite a stir that he's making in the community. And this isn't just some random Joe Schmoes that are kind of checking out the scene. These are people that are sent from Jerusalem, priests and Levites, like officials in the religious community, and they're asking him a question of identity. Who are you? Um, now, it could be like, literally, who are you? What's your identity? But behind those words, I think, is a hidden message of why should we care about what you're doing? What kind of authority do you have to be doing what you're doing? Um, are you actually sent of God? Or are you just some religious fanatic that we need to be worried about? They're coming to basically have an answer as to who this John the Baptist guy is. And as we'll, we'll find, there are some, uh, some writings in the Old Testament that I'm sure was kind of pricking these guys' antenna. There were certain things throughout the Old Testament that were, that were, um, that were kind of forecast as being something that would show that uh, something with this Messiah was going to come to be. And I think these religious leaders were kind of starting to figure out, well, maybe this John the Baptist guy is kind of important. Let's go figure it out. And in verse 20, John confessed, and he did not deny, but rather he confessed, I am not the Christ. So um, John probably had a whiff of what was going on and probably knew why these guys were coming, and he just jumped straight to the chase and said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. That's not what I'm about. And he boldly says that. He's not hiding anything. And then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And who's this Elijah guy? Well, Without going into a ton of detail, we could do a whole week on Elijah. But he's one of the most famous prophets of Israel. And actually in Malachi, I think it's in Malachi 4, um, it was prophesied to the Jews that Elijah was actually going to return before what Malachi said was the terrible day of the Lord. And that was something that I want to go back and investigate a little bit more, was this, was this terrible day of the Lord. Um, and if you read some of the things that John the Baptist was saying, he was warning people, you know, you got to get your act together. 
You need to repent. I'm baptizing you in the name of repentance because God's wrath is coming. Um, that could have some um, intertwinings there. I'm not quite sure. That's something I've got to study some more. But it was prophesied that Elijah would return before the terrible day of the Lord. So they're asking about that, and John says, nope, that's not who I am. And then they say, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And in Deuteronomy 18, I looked this up, and in Deuteronomy 18, there are several verses in there where God had promised to his people a prophet that would come out from among the countrymen and would be literally speaking the very words of God for what the people um, ought to do. But John said, no, I'm not that prophet either. So there were, there were some signs that these priests and Levites were looking for that they thought John might be fulfilling, but John said, no, that's not who I am either. And then they said to him, well, who are you? This isn't getting very far. Who are you? So that we might be able to go back and give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So why are you doing this? Why do you have a following? Why are you dunking people in water? What's going on? We need to come back with an answer. And he quoted something that we're probably very familiar with. And John said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. And there's more research I've got to do on this too, but I, I found it interesting that this isn't John's cry. And when Isaiah was prophesying this and when John is quoting this, this is the cry of the Lord, that this is the voice of the Lord. The Lord is saying, make straight the way of the Lord. Um, the Lord doesn't want the people of Israel to still struggle with these rules and regulations and behavior modification, but he wants this direct path to himself. He wants relationship with himself. And all of us on this side of the cross realize that that's what Jesus came to do, was to take all the wishy-washy and beat yourself up over what you did, kind of living, and just have a straight and pure path um, to him. And God's desire was a beautiful straight path unto himself. And evidently, that's what John was sent to say. Now, these people had been sent from the Pharisees, and they're probably getting kind of frustrated. And they asked him and said to him, well, why then are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, why are you baptizing? And there's my multitasking not going well. There we go. Why are you baptizing? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. And so right off the get-go, um, John admits that his baptism is something that's simply occurring in water. And we've had this conversation before, but this, this physical act of being dunked into the River Jordan and pulled up supernaturally really achieved nothing. No transformation occurred. This was simply an act of the flesh. This was just bodies getting wet. Now they were coming to John in repentance and wanting to seek what to do. And John was baptizing them. But he admits, John says, that I simply baptize you in water, but there is one who's coming whom you do not know. And if you've read all of John, it's amazing how some of these phrases just kind of keep repeating themselves. And in, in John 1, you know, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he was sent to his very own people, but they did not know him. And so I, I find it kind of awesome that John is echoing that, that there's someone that's coming that we don't know about. And he skips ahead a little bit after he says this. It says, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie. It says, there's this guy that's coming that I'm not even 
worthy enough to bend down and even touch his shoes. And he skips ahead and says, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, and this is now the voice of God saying, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is, is John coming with this act of baptism, um, this physical act that happened simply in water, but it was a shadow of something that was to come, this baptism that was going to be bigger than just, sorry, I had an ADHD moment, some high-quality H2O, right? There's something bigger than that, uh, child in the 90s. Um, and this one who's coming, who is so wonderful that John can't even touch his sandals, it says that he is going to come and baptize in the Holy Spirit, um, and we've got to take a look at what that's talking about. And so what, what we found is, I didn't, I didn't bring these scriptures up, but as I was reading, I think it's somewhere in Luke, um, these are the words of Jesus. They were asking Jesus, you know, about this John guy, like, who's this John? Was he a prophet? Like, what was his deal? And Jesus says to them, he says, of all people born of women, John is the greatest. And so of the prophets like Isaiah, who was saying, you know, God is going to come and he's going to take your stony heart and he's going to give you a fleshy heart, this, this prophesying of the New Testament. And Jeremiah, who was saying that the Holy Spirit isn't even going to remember your sins anymore. The very words of Jesus were that John the Baptist, this John, whatever he was prophesying about, he's the greatest one born of women. And then he goes on to say that, but those who actually enter into the kingdom of God are greater than he and so this thing that he was prophesying about, this baptism with this Holy Spirit, if we've partaken of that, then somehow in the hierarchy of however God views things, we're greater than this John the Baptist guy, which is incredible. And so we've got to figure out what this baptism is all about. Okay? And so notice the prophetic nature of what John is doing. John is baptizing. He's saying, I'm just doing this in water, but there's one who's going to come who's going to do this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what is baptism? Um, baptism, the word in the Greek, has to do with immersion, like being submerged, being dunked into, being immersed with something. But it's a picture of death, right? In a lot of the liturgical churches, they say baptized in the likeness of his death and raised again in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a picture of burial. It's a picture of death. And so John the Baptist is prophesying this, this thing that evidently is greater according to the words of Jesus, then this picture of having a new heart and having your sins not even remembered anymore, this prophesying that John is doing is of a death that Jesus says is this incredible thing. And so we've got to look at that. And we've, got to, we've got to make sure that this thing about this death that we're supposed to experience has been made real. And we're going to flip ahead a little bit. And Paul actually in, um, oh, never mind. I went too far. Let's keep going. Now, this, this heads to Luke. Um, we head to Luke, and we come across a scene um, where a bunch of soldiers and a bunch of different people um, from the people of Israel have come to John, and they're being baptized. And when you look at the passages that occur before this, um, John, is, John is throwing down pretty hard. He's, he's bringing out some pretty big words and, and, and talking about... Um, 
you know, you better get right because you better repent because the day of the Lord is coming and the way you guys are living just isn't, isn't good. And so here, here we pick up and we get to this scene in Luke 3, and this is in verse 10. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? So the, these people were coming to John, and they were being baptized, and they were raised out of the water, and they were still having to ask the question, then what shall we do? How shall we live? What are we supposed to do? And John would answer them and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And some soldiers had come to be baptized, and they were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. And the more that I research, the more I realize that this whole baptism in water, especially when you look at the scene, didn't bring about any transformation. These men of the flesh and of sin had come and been dunked into the River Jordan, and they came out, and there was no revelation of how to live. They were still asking, well, what am I supposed to do? What do I do with my job? How am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to share? Am I not? What do I do? It was still a mystery to them as to how to live. And we've got to see that John the Baptist's baptism was based on repentance. He said it many times um, throughout his ministry. But Christ's baptism is based on so much more. After John baptized people, they still didn't know how to live, and they were given behavioral advice on how to change their ways. John's best advice, the best that he could give them, was to simply say repent and give them some tips on how to adjust their flesh so that it would more emulate goodness. But no official change of the heart had actually taken place like that which Isaiah prophesied about. It was still a mystery to people as to what was the right way to live. And as we see in the next scene, as we move to Acts, I was getting ahead of myself, Paul actually gets to the root of the problem. He asked some people a pretty serious question about what their baptism actually did. And so now we jump to Acts 19. I'm kind of hopping all over the place here a little bit um, because I want to paint a picture of what John's baptism did as opposed to what Christ did. And so we get to Acts 19, and we'll pick up there. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I'm sure they kind of were looking at each other, and they said, what did they say? No, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul is coming and saying, okay, so when you believe, did you receive this Holy Spirit? Like it's this matter of fact thing. And these guys are looking at each other like, no, we haven't even heard. What's this Holy Spirit? We don't even know what you're talking about. And then he said, well, into what then were you baptized? So Paul is coming with this thing like, okay, so you believed and you were baptized but if you don't know who this Holy Spirit guy is, then what was this all about? What did you even do? What was this baptism that you were baptized into? And their response was, and they said, into John's baptism. And John himself even said, I simply baptize in water, but there's one coming who is going to baptize in the Spirit. And Paul said, 
and repeats all of this. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, and that is Jesus. And I'm sure at this point, we don't have an account of this, so I'm kind of using my imagination a little bit, but I'm sure that Paul at this point took a break and he preached to these people who this Jesus was. Um, I'm sure that he expounded on the glorious grace of the Lord, and I'm sure that he told these disciples about the perfect sacrifice of Christ's body and how all of their sins had been forgiven. At this point, I'm sure that Paul described Christ's resurrection as power over sin and death and the means by which we can actually know his power. Everybody, I assume, knows that God is powerful. He created the world. He, he spoke things into being. The universe is still expanding, but it's this act of Christ raising himself up from the dead that really demonstrates that this God that we have truly is powerful. But I'm sure even after all of that, Paul stopped and explained that Christ was actually this great baptizer. Christ's baptism is one of supernatural reality. His baptism is a powerful miracle that results with oneness with Christ himself. So where John's baptism was an immersion into water, this Christ's baptism is going to bring about this new reality of oneness. You're being baptized not just into water, but into something so much better. The old man is crucified and put away with. The new man is raised up in that same power of Christ's resurrection, full of victory and righteousness and communion with the Lord. Christ's baptism results in being one with a new life, a life fueled by and governed by and united to Christ himself. So I'm sure that Paul was speaking to these guys and saying, oh man, this John the Baptist thing, he was doing something pretty cool, but man, if you believe in Christ, you gotta know what you've been baptized into. And those of us who have been coming to Life Journey, we know that we've been baptized into Christ himself. And if you're curious as to what this new life and this newness of life really is all about, I encourage you to go back to any of the previous podcasts and, and just listen to the sermons um, from three or four different weeks, and there'll be a clear picture of this baptism in this gospel. But what I was focused on this week was it all came back to that conversation that I had with that guidance counselor about how she tangibly saw in about 10 or 15 teenagers in our high school that they had something going on um, that even when t things were going rough and it felt like they had a lot that was demanded of them, that they could still be so joyful, joyful enough that a secular guidance counselor would say, I want a little bit of whatever that is, but I'm pretty sure I don't want to become religious. Those were her words. And so what I was focused on this week was, okay, these people came to John, and they came in repentance. They came knowing that sin was a bad thing, and they were sorry for it. And John baptized them in water and raised them up, and their response was, well, then what do I do now? How do I live? I don't feel different. I don't, I don't know how to go about and move forward in this life. And shouldn't we have the same question, I guess? Now that we've been baptized into Christ, well, what shall I do now? What's awesome is that we have a much better answer. And we have this reality deep down inside of us that is trying to manifest itself. Someone who has been baptized into Christ now has the mind of Christ. I'll never forget when I, was, when I was preaching on that, reading that verse and just having that just blow my mind. Um, we have the mind of Christ. 
We shouldn't have to be walking around this world asking, well, what should I do now? Um, is it okay if I go do this thing? Or is it okay if I go do that thing? We've got the mind of Christ. And we simply must renew our mind to the reality that this life that we have isn't actually ours anymore. It's Christ's life inside of us. And so I'm sure Paul spoke these kind of words to them and was, in much greater clarity than I do, was demonstrating this power of Christ and his baptism and what belief in him really is. And when these people heard this, these people that had once been baptized in John's baptism and didn't know who the Holy Spirit was or what that was all about, they weren't sure what Paul was talking about when they said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul, has laid his, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now, I, I went through all the, the history of these scenes of John, and I, I came over here to Acts and this to show the stark difference between being baptized into John's baptism and coming out of the water and still asking the question, well, what should I do? Not having any transformation that's taken place, not having a new life, not having any supernatural power or victory over sin, but still being lost as to how am I supposed to move forward? And then to this scene where Paul preached Christ, preached baptism into Christ, preached being immersed into Christ, being buried with him and being raised anew with him, and the immediate result of that. These people believed and were baptized, and in one sentence it says, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There was an immediate supernatural result, an immediate supernatural change. These guys' lives were transformed in an instant um, when they heard the good news of this baptism into Christ and believed on that. I spent a lot of time just talking about the differences between those two scenes, but I, I had an epiphany. Um, I had an epiphany a few mornings ago before school as I was working on this, and I said, you know, these guys came to John, they were baptized by John, they came up and they were able to look John in the face and say, what then shall we do? How do we move forward? And John was there and able to give them a response. Now his response was behavior modification and advice on how to make the flesh do more good than bad. But I was thinking, how does this apply to Christians today? We don't go to the River Jordan and have John the Baptist baptize us. We believe in faith, this person of Christ that was preached to us. And if we believe in him, we're baptized into him. Our old man is dead, a new man is raised. And I guess my question was, early in the morning was, well, who do we get to ask now, what shall I do? And that's kind of what I named my sermon. I, not that sermons need to have names, not that that's important, but at the top of my page, I just had this question always, what shall I do? So as I was, as I was reading through all of this, the question still in my head was, okay, I, I believe this. I've been saved for a long time. I've been, you know, coming to life journey here where we've been proclaiming the gospel clearly, in my opinion, for years. But I still had that question in my head, okay, so what? What shall I do? What do I do now? How do I wake up and live my life? So that maybe some secular guidance counselor at some point will say, I'll have whatever Craig's got. 
right? Not that that should necessarily be the motivation, but is there a tangible difference in my flesh and in my behavior and in my life after this encounter with Christ and his baptism? And what was cool about the people back then is they were baptized by John. They came up out of the water by John pulling them up in his strength, and they were to ask him eye to eye, what shall I do? And John had an answer. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if after we were baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, and raised anew in his resurrection, if we could look him in the eye and ask him, what shall I do? Well, now what do I do? What shall I do now? And so I took some liberties, um, and I, I went through the New Testament, and I was looking for the answer, what shall I do now? And I was hoping that there would be just like this one beautiful, concise verse that we could kind of camp out on for about 10 or 15 minutes or so. And, and as I was flipping through, I was frustrated, but it wasn't for a bad reason. It was for a good reason. I wasn't just finding verses to camp out on. I was finding chapters to camp out on. I was finding books, and all of these books were saying the same thing. And it was... Not so much an answer to like, well, what shall I do and give me some rules to live by, but it was this truth that it's not my life in the first place anyway right now. How do I live my life really isn't the question. It's how does Christ live his life through me becomes the question. And so I couldn't find one verse to camp out on. I know some of you might be kind of scared where it's 11 o'clock and I'm saying I found chapters to camp out on. Um, I won't punish you with that, I promise. But I was still also kind of frustrated with ah, seeing Jesus face to face and being able to ask our Lord, what now shall I do? And so I took some liberties. And I took... I took the writings that I had found all throughout the New Testament that were just a perfect answer to the question, what shall I now do? And being married to an English teacher, I'm pretty sure I got this right. But I changed the grammar so that it wasn't Paul talking about you and me and our relationship to Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't Christ talking to his disciples. Um, it wasn't these New Testament writers talking to us in like the second person, um, talking about this, this Christ in the third person, I took, I took these writings and I, I made it a letter. I made it a letter from Christ himself to us. Because I think, I think I've gotten down to the bottom of it. Why doesn't the Christian life have the same ramifications Maybe that's, that's got a negative connotation. I'll change that word. Why doesn't the Christian life, a true Christian life, have the same sort of results on the secular world that these teenagers in my building had? You know, you turn on the news and, I mean, what has it been, decades since a Christian has been mentioned with, like, a positive slant, <laughs> right? Um, now, Jesus said that we would be persecuted, and I, I've never felt persecuted, but... Um, why isn't it that Christians and, and the, the true church of God are recognized as having this amazing thing that they're doing and, and people can't find an answer for what's going on, but uh, something's different about those Christians and it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. 
Why, why haven't we gotten to that? I think the question is because we haven't made it personal. We haven't taken the gospel and made it real and made it personal and had it be an encounter of Jesus and me. Um, I love reading through the Bible and I love the consistencies of the Bible and just that I got giddy when I was reading John say, and there's one whom you do not know. And I actually didn't know until God gave me a sign that the Spirit was going to come. And I had just read a couple chapters earlier that the flesh was going to become this manifestation of God himself, but he'd come even to his own people, but they still wouldn't know him. Like, I, I just get amped up about all those little things that just keep popping up as truth throughout the gospel. But if we fall in love with a book and we fall in love with the theology and we fall in love with the study of Scripture and we miss the reality of the person of Christ and me being just, I mean, immersed. Do you know what immersed is? Like completely surrounded, completely engulfed with. When you're dunked into the baptismal pool and you're completely submerged underwater, I mean, there's not a fraction of you that's not touched by this stuff and completely engulfed in this. When we're baptized into Christ, there's not an ounce of us that isn't just wrapped up in the arms of our Savior. That's, that's personal. That's real. And while I love studying the Scriptures and while I love looking at the theology of grace and all this amazing stuff that we can glean from prophecies that have become realities and, and we can just look at the awesome consistency of the writing of Paul and this revelation of Christ that he had, I feel like a true change in the flesh is only going to come when we as each an individual believer make this a personal thing. Like God would have come down and died on the cross if I was the only person that needed it. I think he would. I don't think God's in the, the game of economics and risk and reward and like, well, there's several billion people who don't need it. But that one guy that, need, uh, you know, maybe like he came to make this personal, to make this an individual thing with you and with me. And I feel like if we can really grab a hold of that, that's when our flesh and that's when our lives are truly going to become a manifestation of Christ himself. And so I don't want to get cheesy. Um, I get cheesy in the high school classroom all the time. My, my kids just say hashtag dad joke all the time. I try to be funny and it doesn't work. But um, at least before lunch it doesn't work. After lunch I'm much better, but before lunch I'm still waking up. Um, Whenever a preacher told me to close my eyes, I always got mad in church. I was like, what can't you say with my eyes open that you have to say with my eyes closed? But I want, us to, I want us to picture this. Picture you believe in the Lord. You know that you've been born again. You know that you have union with him, but you've written Christ a letter or you've given Christ a prayer. And you ask the same question of Christ that these disciples of John the Baptist asked. And it's, okay then, what now shall I do? And I want us to imagine, now it's cooler than writing letters, like we have a direct avenue to the Lord himself. We don't need to like find God's P.O. box. But just imagine you opened a letter from Christ himself, and this is what he said. And if you doubt me, you can go back and read through Matthew and read through Colossians and read through Romans and read through Galatians. All I did was take what I found there and turn it into a letter from Christ to the believer. 
in response to, well, now what shall I do? And so if you're better at closing your eyes and imagining this, that's fine. If you want to look at my ugly mug while I read it, that's fine. I'd pick the first. Um, But I'm going to read this letter that became just jumping off of the pages of Scripture. It just seemed like a love letter from Christ to us, answering the question, well, now what should I do? If you're a believer and you want your life to be a manifestation of Christ, and you asked him, what do I do? How do I make that happen? Imagine these are the words of Christ to you. This is Christ speaking. I came to be the light of the world. I came into darkness to bring light and truth. The world was lost and it needed hope. And that's why I came. But now that's your job. Now you are the light of the world. You are my hands and you are my feet. I actually need you to live your life in such a way that your light shines before men and they see all of the good that you do. And when people watch you, their reaction should be to glorify your heavenly Father. This may seem like quite a task and something that you cannot do on your own, but don't worry. I will be there to live with you and through you. I am greater than what lives in this world. My dear friend, you have received me as your Christ and as your Lord, so walk in me. Don't you know that you've been firmly rooted in me and are now being built up in me through faith? And I want you to be overflowing with gratitude. Now make sure that no one tricks you through fleshly thinking and futile deceptions. Men like their traditions, and they sure do like to view the world in terms of right and wrong, but that's simple thinking. Now that you know me, think of life according to me. All of the deity that you could ever imagine dwells in me. And guess what? I have made you complete in me. I am the head over all rule and authority. And I decided to cut away your dead flesh from who you really are at the core. When you believed in me, you were baptized or immersed into me. And that means that when I died on the cross, so did you. The old, filthy, sinful you has been done away with. And because you were baptized into me when I was raised from the dead into resurrection life and victory, so were you. I saw you when you were dead in your foolishness, your rebellion, and your sin. And even then, I decided to come and bring you life. But this is not just any life. I brought you my life. You are now alive together with me. My friend, I have forgiven all of your transgressions. The debt that you owe to God... And any law that could have condemned you as guilty, I've taken care of it all on your behalf. When I went to the cross, I was thinking of you. Everything that would make our relationship impossible, I nailed it all to the cross 2,000 years ago. So since you have been raised up in newness of life with me, keep thinking of heavenly things. Think of where I sit, at the right hand of God. Remember, you've been baptized and placed into me, so there you sit as well. 
Set your mind on that. Don't think on things of this earth. You've died to all of this, and now your life is hidden in me, your Christ. Whenever I'm revealed and my glory is seen, the world will also see that you are glorious too. So consider the parts of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, dead to greed, which amounts to idolatry. You don't need to try to find pleasure in the things of this world. Your phone can't give you what I already have. Sex can't give you what I already have. Money can't give you what I already have. Getting ahead of others in life can't get you what I already have. Why do you put all this trivial stuff before me? This kind of stuff is the stuff that makes people disobedient. And this is what caused God to pour out his wrath in the first place. You may have participated in all of these earthly things before you knew me, but now you know me. Put it all aside. Don't get angry and vengeful with other people. Don't gossip behind other people's back and slander them. That's just simply not like me. Remember that you've been baptized into my life. Set all of that old stuff aside and put on the newness that I have brought to you. I created you flesh. I created you clean. As your mind starts to realize how good the life I've offered you truly is, you will start to look and behave more and more like me. Now remember, you've been crucified with me, and it's not really your life anymore. I'm living my life through you. Please let me. Just keep having faith and believe that I want the best for you. I will do nothing but manifest myself in your life and flesh if you realize that the baptism that you have partaken of is so great and so powerful. I love you so much, and I gave my life up for you. I'm so glad that you believe in me, and I know you probably have some questions about how to live. Well, if living by rules could have produced holiness and this kind of life that pleases God in the first place, then it was pretty fruitless and stupid of me to go to the cross. Israel already had a pretty great law. But trust me, trust that this way is my great plan for you. Trust me that the plan is that you would die and I would live through you instead. Trust me that this is better. And so if you ever have any questions about what you should do with your life or how you should live it, feel free to ask me. I'm always with you, and I want nothing but the best for you. But if you would like one last piece of advice on how to live, take this one with you. Whatever you do, whether you are engaging in an action or simply thinking and speaking with others, think on me and do everything in my name, Jesus. And give thanks through me to God the Father. That's really what I wish to do through you. And I, as I went through the New Testament and I was looking at advice on how to live, it was awesome to have Paul writing it. But for some reason, for me, it just kind of shook me up to turn this into a letter from Christ himself.
And if we truly believe the gospel and we truly believe what has accomplished, what's stopping us from speaking to Christ himself like that, face to face? We're told that we're face to face with God because of him. And dummy me, you know, I was sitting there earlier in the week frustrated that I couldn't just ask Jesus himself. And it was almost like when I opened my Bible to try to find the answer, I heard him saying, this is how you ask me, dummy. <laughs> like, just read. I'll tell you all you need to know. This is how you need to live. I don't know. Jesus got pretty mad in the, the temple. I'm not sure if you'd call me a dummy or not, but that's how I heard it in my head. This is how you ask me, dummy. Just do it. And I like to walk away from a math class with one kind of rule, one kind of takeaway. Okay, if there's one thing that you need to remember about Pythagorean theorem, here it is. And so I guess my brain is kind of wired like that. And I've, I've kind of used this this week. Um, I, I wanted to have kind of this litmus test for if I was having a thought or I wanted to do something or I wanted to be a part of something, I was like, you know, it'd be great if there was just kind of this one little test that I could run something through to see if it was something I should do or not. Um, if I ever had a doubt, or if it wasn't just coming out of me naturally to do the right thing, um, what's, what's this litmus test that, um, I can't find it right now. But it was, it was the verse in Colossians 3. I think I can remember it. I just kind of carried this with me all week. Whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. It's not even like you giving thanks to God. Like it's Christ through you giving thanks to God. Um, so if I was faced with something, I would just, you know, well, I want to do this, but is that really the best use of my time? Maybe I should go do this. Just having that thought in my head. Whatever I'm doing, am I doing it? in the name of Jesus? And is this Christ's way of thanking God through me? Now, we could really quickly in the flesh turn that into trying to follow rules, and we could turn that into a number of times I got that right, number of times I got that wrong, um, which is not the intention. But I just, I just hear that as Christ begging, whatever you do, let me do it through you. Do it in my name. That's what's going to give thanks to God um, through your life. And I don't know if this has helped at all. I don't know if this has made anything a little more personal. But uh, I have found for myself that whenever I have a sermon to get ready for or whenever I delve into the Scriptures um, with a purpose, with something that I'm aiming to get out of it, for some reason, stuff just starts leaping off of the page. Um, and so I would encourage us to go to the Gospels that way. Go to the Gospels with a purpose. What, what is that one thing that you're looking for today? What is that, that truth that you want to leap off of the page? What is it in your life that you need guidance with or you need help with? Go, go to the Scripture with that and with, with prayer, and ask the Holy Spirit to make it known to you. Because I, I went in one morning angry that I couldn't just ask Jesus himself what I'm supposed to do. And about 30 minutes later, I had more pages than I knew what to do with. And I walked away this week 
you might walk away with something different, but I walked away this week with just this, this one question in my head as I go through life. Is this bringing thanks to God because all I'm doing, I'm doing in the name of Christ himself and that my life has been put to death and it's a new life living in me. Uh, we're, we're told all throughout the New Testament to yield and to submit and to let. These are all not very strong, aggressive words, right? These are like a giving up and a yielding and a letting go and a submitting. Paul uses these words all the time. Um, submit yourselves as um, instruments to God. Let Christ live his life to you. Yield to this newness of life that has been given to you. Um, and so this what now shall we do doesn't require a whole lot of action, but a whole lot of letting. And so my encouragement to you would be if, if you want to have this newness of life, this life that's so good that Christ himself, God himself, would come down and die. It's not this try harder game. It's a, it's a let Christ game. And that only becomes able if it's been made real and personal to you. You can't have Christ live his life through you if that hasn't become a reality. This baptism into Christ, this thing that John was prophesying about, that there's this guy that's coming who's going to do so much more than what I'm doing right now. It's bigger than just asking forgiveness of sins. He's going to bury you in his death and raise you up in newness of life, and you're not going to have to ask what is God thinking anymore. You're going to have Christ's very mind. When that becomes real to each one of us, then I think we're on to something. So I've got a journey marker this morning. It's not very eloquent or poetic, but it's what I came away with. If you have been baptized into Christ, this real, true baptism of Christ, then you have a new life to live and the Holy Spirit to empower you. And then the only question becomes, is that real? Is that real for you? Is that more than just words on a page? Is that just something that you might catch in a New Testament class? Or is that your reality? Remember that uh, the priests and the Levites had come to John the Baptist and their first question was, who are you? When people of the world come to us and ask us, who are you? Our response should be, well, I don't know. I died a long time ago. <laughs> I've got Christ in me now. So hopefully whatever you're seeing in me is just the manifestation of his life in mine. So that's all I've got to say. I kind of wanted to keep it short and sweet so that we might be able to share some testimony or um, encouragement or maybe if you had any questions um, that we could get to those. But I was encouraged this week for some reason or another by turning the words of Paul more into a love letter of Christ to me personally. Um, that just made it super real for me this week, and I hope it did the same for you. So if we have any questions, I'm just now realizing the mic is not here. Oh, Brandon, you got one. Anything to share or Yeah, I, ask? I, I was listening, and the one thing that, that came to my mind as you were uh, going through your message was, was when Christ says in Matthew, I think it's uh, chapter 11, I believe, where he says, my yoke is easy, my light. Right. Um, you know, to me, it, it looks like he's he's there, and what you're saying, it just letting him live through you, is is something that I think a lot of us we we forget, you know, and rest. At, uh, and then, so as I was looking through, okay, 
I thought it was interesting, Ephesians, uh, the verse of the day, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it says, therefore, Paul's writing to the Ephesians, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So Greg was going through the teaching and the idea of uh, repentance, the baptism of repentance. I had to think of my personal journey. Um, wife and I were born and raised with the Amish, and certainly we were bombarded with lots of things we should be doing. And to me, even reading the Bible and trying to, just for the purpose of finding out what to do to your point, what do we do? And it seems like the more I read the Bible, the more later the gap seemed to be in. I was like, this is an impossible situation. And um, I got to the place in my zeal to get it right. That I got to the place and I had to think of, the, of John the Baptist. It, it was like, almost like I was taken back to the time when John the Baptist was there. Before I knew what was right, seemed like there was a voice coming that said, stop. It's madness. This is, this is going to stop. This has to end. This, this is going nowhere. And I had to think of that, back to John the Baptist saying he was the greatest of people born one among women. He was still in the old system. And, and he told the guy, you know, the best I have to offer to you is just do what's right, you know, do what's fair. Reasonable, yep. but he said, "What is profound about him? He didn't say the buck stops with me. He's like there is there is something, and I'm here. Repent. You want to think what what do you want me to repent of? If that didn't make sense, then I had to think as I think of that. The message was for all of humanity to repent, even even the you know an Israelite in whom was no guile. Everybody." asked to repent and to receive this baptism and then took me back to the time uh, even though I wasn't born in the beginning of time like with Adam it was like what am I asked so I was repent asked to repent of this idea that I will attain unto God by receiving knowledge of good and evil that was so universal this Adamic race that we inherited it was like he was saying, taking issue with what happened back there. You were part of it. You indulged it in it to now. But this madness will stop here and now. Repent. So that his repentance, yes, it was baptizing with water, but making straight, repenting from the idea that I will attain unto God through my own effort or my own knowledge of good and evil of that and to know going back to my time of conversion and I saw first what was wrong. This isn't working. I didn't know what was right. But it was kind of like I'm out here and now. It was like an airplane flying. All the motors stopped. This thing is going down. There's only one thing. And the 
landing place is Jesus. Right. You just got this picture. And it was very real to me. Just as you were going through, it just unfolded my own conversion back there. And the baptism of Jesus is what he pointed to in John the Baptist. He, he was there and he fulfilled his mission. Even though it was just baptism of water, he brought awareness. Thank you. Well, if nobody else, I think we'll end in prayer and go our merry way and freeze outside. My, uh, my mom and dad grew up in Iowa and Minnesota, and they always told me it was a great place to be from. And when you wake up and it's five degrees out, it's like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. That's crazy. Um, so let's go ahead and stand, and we'll, we'll pray together, and we'll go have a great week. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that the gospel is more than just words on a page, um, that it's more than something that we can just study. Uh, we thank you that it's more than something that we can just say with our mouth, but Lord, we we thank you that the reality of the gospel, that it's, that it's a new life, that the gospel brings life and light out of what once was dead and dark. And God, we just pray this morning that, uh, that while so much of what the gospel does takes care of the problems that we had in the spiritual realm. It takes care of our, our, dead, our dead union to sin and it, it makes us alive to you. We, we, we recognize that our sin account before the throne has been wiped clean and, and we have been made righteous. Lord, we, we recognize that in the spiritual realm we've been made one with you that just as Jesus is one with the Father, we are one with Jesus. That, that blows our mind. But, but Lord, we pray that today and this week, the power and the life that's experienced in the Spirit would manifest itself in the flesh as well. And Lord, this week as I was, as I was studying, I was, I was thinking back to why the law was given and deep down, the law was given to show us that in our spirit, there was no way that we could ever live up to holiness. There was no way that we could ever be righteous. But in the flesh, the law was there to produce right living. And it didn't work. And Lord, as Christians today, we, we recognize this gospel of grace and the amazing work that it has done that the law could not do. We we thank you that we have been made righteous, that, that now through Christ we do measure up to be called sons and daughters. But Lord, when we look around us, we look at this gospel and we look at this new birth. And at least for me, I still look at the flesh and I don't see much right living. But Lord, we pray that through your power and through your life, and a yielding to the realization that our old life and our old man has been put away, Lord, that our flesh would be 
that our, that our lives would be made to look like you. That what we say with our mouths and what we do with our hands and how we go throughout our lives would be right living through your power and your grace. Lord, we simply want to be transformed on the outside now as you have transformed us on the inside. And Lord, we pray for, for guidance and for strength and for power to do those things and that our life simply might be an offering of thanksgiving to God through you. Lord, live your life through us this week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.